Blog Talk Radio. I'm Chris G. You can follow me on Twitter at ChrisG1980. Coming up in this episode, we will play you some of the best moments of our fifth season. You will hear interviews from TSN's John Lou and Chris Cuthbert, along with Sportsnet's John Bartlett. But first, Sportsnet's Dave Randolph joined us on February 7th, and we asked him what Canadian manager Mark Bergevin needed to shop for at trade deadline. Well, you know, uh, one thing that he has proven that he is not is and that is shy to uh, to improve his team when he thinks uh, they are close, and certainly they are very close. I think everybody would agree to making a serious run at the Stanley Cup. You know, there's there's no no doubt about it. Um, with the net mining that they have, and the experience of 17 playoff games that they gained last year, this is this is a group where you you should be going for. It. Uh, what would you add? Uh, clearly, you need another top six forward. I mean, when Dale Weiss is is back on your top line as he is tonight, uh, no offense to Dale, that's that's you know he's not a top six forward, uh, and I think he would even probably uh, admit to that. He's going to take this opportunity and do his job and and continue until PA Parento is is ready. Uh, but you know, you, you need another top six forward in there. I, I'd like to see Galchenyuk back in the middle to continue that that development and and that de- that production that he was giving the Canadians too and they've got him back over on the wing because just the way things are lining up right now uh, and you know you, you got to look at your top four as well on the back end I don't know what your listeners uh, are, are thinking but I really I liked Nathan Beaulieu before he was sent back down you know I've lost track how many times they sent him up and down but I think he is here to stay now I think he has gained the confidence of, T- of Tarion and uh, and Bergevin so 
I, I kind of like Nathan Bolio. Is he ready for big-time top four minutes uh, for a long playoff run? Maybe not. Uh, can he be down the road? Yeah, I, I do. I, I like his, his, his edge, and he's, he can make that first pass. He's not small, and he's not afraid, and all that good stuff. But I think it would just be nice to have an extra top four guy to, uh, to make that long run that's going to require 20-plus games to, to win it all. So those are really it, you know, a top six forward and a – because uh, they've got lots of depth and character players uh, that I think uh, could be quite useful. So, uh, you know, top six scoring winger and, and maybe another top four defenseman. You don't need a top guy, but just a, you know, a depth, solid defenseman uh, that they can, they can plunk in there. Because Gonchar, you know, he's, he's north of 40. Mike Weaver's got a lot of miles on him as well. Uh, so you, you don't know what's going to happen there. You're one injury away from being a, a lot thinner on the blue line. And when you're talking about like a, a top six forward, uh, one of the players that we're going to see tonight from the New Jersey Devils side is uh, Yarmir Jagr. And over the years, he's expressed interest in uh, coming to play for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, do you think Jagr would be that a good top six forward for the Canadiens? Well, I think he would be motivated, that's for sure. I mean, he doesn't have very many opportunities uh, left to, to get another Stanley Cup. The only thing that makes me kind of wonder is that remember when Boston brought him in uh, for for this exact situation? He didn't he didn't do anything offensively. Uh, I don't have his stats in front of me, but I know he did not put up a lot of points. Didn't score a goal. I know that uh, in the postseason. And uh, you know you, you look at the production that he's put up during the regular season. It's that's all well and good, but it's a different uh, different beast, and that's the only thing that makes me hesitate when you suggest that name but uh you know having watched this this hall of fame career in in its on on the the second half of it i think you can't be anything but impressed with the commitment and the uh, uh the class that the armor yager has brought night in night out i mean he only he's missed a handful of games this season because of mumps you know that's that's unavoidable he stays healthy he stays in tip-top shape he's got passion he's got uh, competitive fire to win and succeed. Would that be uh, you know, a silly trade? No, it wouldn't. Uh, not at all. Uh, he's got tons of experience. It's just fitting in a guy that big, you know, that takes up that much of your your presence. That's my only concern. You know, he's he's a he, he wants to be slotted into a certain role, and and are they willing to put him on the top line? I don't know. Does he want? Because that's where he'd want to play. That's for sure. So. Um, that that is up to Mark Bergevin and, and Taryn to look at uh, the chemistry of their lines and whether or not he would actually be a fit for the postseason. Because you know sometimes you add too much and you can upset uh, uh, the chemistry that Montreal has exhibited the last several years. And in a it was a 2012-2013 playoffs, and in 22 games, Yager got zero goals, ten assists. So those were the stats we were looking for. There you go. And yeah. So you know, ten assists, and, and ultimately they fell short. And he didn't, you know, and they needed his, they needed him to score. You know, he's not a setup guy. They need him to score goals, even a couple of game winners. And, and I remember uh, that was, you know, that was a problem for him last year. He just couldn't, couldn't uh, get that big goal when Boston really needed it. We might be a little biased over here in Montreal, but there's been a lot of talk about Carey Price being a front runner for the Hart Trophy. Um, in your mind, if the season ended, let's say right now, do you think Price would win the Hart Trophy? Yeah, I, I think it's it's the old uh, debate is how do you define the MVP? Is it most valuable player in the league or most valuable player to his particular team? 
And, you know, how many times does Gary Price have to prove it over and over again that if you take him out of the equation here, especially right now, and they're not scoring a whole lot of goals in this particular uh, moment in time, uh, and yet they still get wins because of Carey Price. And, you know, in my mind, there's there's no doubt that would he be the uh, Hart Trophy winner? You know, just off the top of my head, I, I, would, I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. Um, if you look at the other candidates, I know Rick Nash has had a heck of a year in New York, and that'll get a lot of attention because it's New York. Uh, Voracek is, is another leading scorer, but he's on a team that's not in the playoffs. Uh, you know, other top guys up there, the Sagans, but up there. Ovechkin's had a great year, too, for a resurgent um, Washington team, and he's kind of remodeled his game, so he will get some strong consideration as well. But if you just throw those names in, in a hat right now, for my money, uh, even though I'm not here as much as I used to, I still watch all the Montreal games, and, and Gary Price, to me, is the most valuable player to his team. And this team is in uh, position to finish top, one, you know, in top three to maybe even top of the Eastern Conference. So, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, it wouldn't be a stretch at all to name Carey Price as a Hart Trophy winner. Until we're not going to change uh, as a league. Um, penalties, and it's not up to the referees because right now the, the, the rule book is set two minutes. It's not normal that players goes to the goaltender. It's not normal. It's, it's not only Carey Price. We're not talking only about Carey Price. I'm talking about all the goalies in the National Hockey League. We have to find a way to protect them. We have to find a way. So that was a Coach Terry yesterday uh, prior to the game against night against the New Jersey Devils. Following a couple of incidents in the past at least seven days where there was Patrick Aletta from the Sabres who ran into Carey Price and last weekend as well, uh, in the game against the Washington Capitals. Dave, do you think that there's anything that the NHL can do to protect its uh, goalies? Well, you know, I used to cover football an awful lot, and and on both sides of the border, there are strict and firm and, and punitive rules in place to protect quarterbacks. And that's because you know they're they're the stars and 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 team and they're vitally important to a team's success. And while it's not really the same type of position uh, in uh, in hockey, it's still critically important when you're talking about number one goaltenders, whether it's whether it's Carey Price or even Corey Schneider of the Devils, who's probably not going to play tonight, but he plays every night as well. And and no team wants to lose. It's Jonathan Quick. It's Ryan Miller. Uh, anybody, you go on down the list. Uh, these guys are vitally important. And, hey, listen, when Patrick Coletta is running into Carey Price, I totally agree with Michelle Therrien. That should not happen. Patrick Coletta, you know, the, the, the opportunity is there and the scenario is there where Patrick Coletta could, could stay in that game and Carey Price could be knocked out for a week from Patrick Coletta. Please. You know, I, I really have a problem with guys like that who, who run around and they, they, they try to hurt the stars. Patrick Coletta is so far from a star in this National Hockey League that you can't even measure it. And his record speaks for itself. And Michelle Therrien still has uh, you know, visions of you know, the, the, the playoff run coming to a crashing halt last year because of the collision with Chris Kreider and, and Carey Price. And you'd be hard-pressed 
to find anybody outside of uh, Manhattan or New York that wouldn't say that if Price stays in that series, they beat the New York Rangers and they go to the Stanley Cup final, and then who knows what happens there. But uh, I, I think a lot of people felt that Price was on, on such a roll coming out of the Olympics that uh, he was on top of his game, and, and, and yeah, Terrans uh, and the Canadians' Stanley Cup final aspirations I don't want to say he went up in smoke because Tukarski did a you know a heck of a job coming in there and 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 doing his best, but uh, there's no question it's deflated Montreal. So until guys like Michel Terry and experienced guys with 300 wins in the league start voicing opinions, there is no real kind of pressure for the league to uh, take note and do something. Uh, the football world did, and they started protecting quarterbacks, and uh, now, you know, teams pay for it with the other uh, kind of suspensions or fines to the players or, or heavy uh, yardage penalties during the course of the game, and uh, it's it's still starting to change that culture. And uh, tonight at 7 o'clock on the City TV Coast to Coast, it's yourself with Yari Galli and David Amber. Uh, what kind of game should we expect tonight between the Devils and the Canadians? Well, you know, uh, I think uh, Montreal fans have seen two games kind of slip away here uh, at home against Arizona and Buffalo. Uh, and tonight you have another team that's uh, not in the playoff picture. Uh, they're a little closer to the, uh, to the cutoff line than the other two teams uh, are. But this Devils team, they are playing a whole lot better. Uh, they don't score a lot. They don't take a lot of shots. But they, they've been getting good goaltending. They are playing tight defensive hockey, and they're winning. Uh, they're just coming off a, a homestand in which they went 4-0-1. Uh, this has been their best stretch of eight games uh, of the season, and they got a chance to win four in a row tonight for the first time all year, too. So this is not a team to be taken lightly, uh, despite where they are in the standings, and uh, especially when you consider the lessons the Canadians have learned against Arizona and Buffalo, that they've got to get back to scoring some goals, first of all. And, uh, and, and these, are the te- these are the teams, these are the points that you need to take. And, you know, when you look back at your, your final standings and maybe you're finishing third and you get that, that, that matchup in the playoffs or, and you wish maybe you had a few more points to finish second and get an extra, uh, you know, bump in the playoff uh, first round, these are the points that make the difference. You're supposed to take these points. And, and, and this stretch of games, you got Edmonton and Toronto in here next week as well. Though Canadians are a better team, and they should be taking these points, but they can't if they're going to take them lightly. They need to get out to a good start, get that Bell Center crowd behind them, and, uh, and go from there, get uh, back to the, uh, the structure that Michelle Therrien likes to preach about. All right, that was Dave Randall from Sportsnet that joined us in February. Coming up on the other side of the break, we will hear from a couple of Johns, Bartlett and Lou. This is the Habs 360 podcast featured on allhabs.net. Habs 360 is proud to be a partner of Rocket Sports Media, digital media publishers of sports and entertainment websites. The RSM mission is to build a worldwide network of sports fans who are informed, engaged, entertained, and connected. Learn more about RSM, its team, and its portfolio of brands at rocketsportsmedia.com. Want the latest Habs news with game previews, reviews, and highlights? How about full coverage of development camps and special events? Looking to follow the Hamilton Bulldogs more closely this season? Perhaps you'd like to learn more about team prospects. Would you like a place to socialize with hockey fans all over the world? We've got everything you're looking for at allhabs.net. 
the place where you'll find everything you need to be the most informed and connected half fan around. Rocket Sports Media is currently recruiting talented, motivated, and committed people to join our team. If you're a student wishing to gain experience, a young professional interested in broadening your credentials, an experienced hockey mind looking for a platform to share your expertise, or a passionate fan looking to contribute to our publications by connecting with fellow hockey fans, we want to hear from you. We are specifically interested in individuals who have education and or experience in the following areas. Sports writing, translation, editing, forum administration, social media administration, multimedia, graphic design, web development and user support, event planning, and sponsorship and marketing. If you are bright, loyal, passionate, and willing to dedicate yourself to a remarkable team, visit allhabs.net and click the Join Our Team tab today. This is the Habs 360 podcast, featured on allhabs.net. Welcome back. I'm Chris G at ChrisG1980 on Twitter. Sportsnet's John Bartlett joined us on March 21st, and we spoke about the Canadiens' depth on defense. But first, we asked them if the fact the Canadiens had lost all four games versus the Lightning at that time was a big deal. Well, I think uh, it certainly is is going to be a very tough team if they have to try and face them uh, in the playoffs, which would be in uh, round two. Um, if both teams, uh, you know, end up getting out of round one, they'll have to face each other in the Atlantic Division. So, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning are a much improved team over last year, and and they're feeding off of that playoff last year against the Canadians, and and using that as a motivating factor, not just against Montreal, but in their season overall. And you have to remember last year in that sweep, the Lightning didn't have Ben Bishop, they didn't have a healthy Steven Stamkos, and they didn't have the experience that they now have in their lineup. And I think that Tampa's improved their blue line even more. I think players like Tyler Johnson have another year under their belt, Alex Cologne as well. They're, um, you know, and they really are sort of balanced that way. They have a four-line attack that can really cause some dangerous offense for you. And, you know, the Canadians have already seen it. Whether you try to shut down Steven Stamkos, Tyler Johnson's there. If you shut down Johnson, Stamkos is going to be a factor. So, um, you know, the fact that the Lightning have won four of the games against the Canadians this year, I think is a bit of a, a telling tale for Montreal. that This is a team that's going to be very tough for them to play in the playoffs, and it's not like the team that they faced last year. So a uh, bit of a measuring stick, I think, uh, you know, when you look at the one more meeting that they'll have this year, uh, that's going to be an important one mentally for the Canadians to try and win, knowing that uh, it could be a playoff matchup. But the, the Lightning are built as a very strong team, so I think they're going to be extremely dangerous for Montreal to try and handle in the Atlantic Division. Canadians, they acquired Jeff Petrie at the trade deadline, and they called up Craig Patterson about a week ago, and there's no injuries on defense right now. Uh, Nick Heboyo will not play tonight against the San Jose Sharks. Uh, what do you think is uh, Terrier's plan with his defenseman for the rest of the season and the playoffs? 
Well, certainly I know uh, you've got a lot of depth there now, too. When you look at uh, Mike Weaver, who was a big part of the playoff run last year and how much of uh, an impact he was last year, now he's an, he's a healthy scratch and part of the depth they have. Sergey Gonchar uh, is part of the depth as well. So um, you have sort of two veteran experienced guys that are there ready to come in in a depth position. And then Nathan Bolger has played very well this year uh, and has to sit out. So it's the old thing. You can never really have too many defensemen, especially when you go to the playoffs. Uh, because injuries and, and different situations can happen quickly. So I think right now it's a situation where they're they're allowing Greg Patterson to, to get some ice time, and he's played very well. Uh, so it's sort of a, an opportunity for him here to get a lot of games and get some more experience under his belt. They like him a lot and like the game that he brings. Um, you know, So this is sort of a, a moving forward situation, I think, uh, for Greg Patterson right now, part of him playing this much at this juncture of the season is not so much uh, for the playoffs, but maybe for next year so they know exactly what they have at the NHL level with Greg Pattern and can sort of plan accordingly uh, when it comes to their own blue line and what they'll want to do next year uh, with plans moving forward uh, on the defensive side of things. So uh, Because this year they thought that Tenorti and Bollier would be a little more ready than they were at the start of the year, and that forced a couple of the defensive moves that they had to make in the acquisition of Sergei Gonchar being one of them um, because they thought that uh, you know Nathan Bollier and Jared Tenorti would be further along in their games than they weren't at the start of the year. So I think that's part of the reason right now they'll have a little more look at Patterns so they have a good sense there. Uh, but also you'll have the ability down the stretch here in the final 10 games or so uh, to rotate a few guys in and out of the lineup and give them a little breather and give them, you know, make sure they're rested for the playoffs. Remember the Canadians, when you factor in the playoffs and the preseason last year, played 107 games. So they know what it takes, and it's a long run, and you want to make sure guys are rested for that. So when you get to the playoffs, though, it wouldn't surprise me if you see – um, you know, Patterson come out and, and maybe Bolia get some more time, but you'll have someone like Sergey Gonchar who is more of a veteran, and if you need to put him in there, you know you're comfortable, you know what you're going to get with it, and he'll bring a steady, calming influence and experience into the lineup in the postseason. So I think right now it's a situation, make sure guys are playing uh, for the younger ones, but also make sure they're rested, and then when you come to the playoffs, you're going to have good options available for you on the blue line if you're Michelle Therrien. And if you think, let's say, if tonight, for example, was game one of the playoffs, do you think that the the sick defenseman would be would be the same? Well, it might depend on who your matchup is uh, as well, and that that could be something they would look at. Uh, if you're going to end up with a team, um, you know, like uh, Boston or something, you might want to have a more of a physical kind of style uh, that that you'll want to have prepared for the Bruins. If it's Detroit, maybe you want to have a little more uh, skill set and a little more puck moving. So maybe a Nathan Bolia sees the ice a little more, gets an opportunity to play against Detroit. Uh, Greg Patterson might not see uh, the ice right off the hop uh, come playoff time because you might want to have that little more experience out there just at this point. Um, so I don't know if tonight's uh, defensive lineup necessarily would be game one of the playoffs. If it's Boston, you definitely want to have Alexei Yemelin in. But Yemelin's got to come along with his game a little more. And I know he's been out for a bit here, so timing is a bit of an issue. But, uh, you know, he struggled a little bit in the first couple games back. So uh, if it's someone like Detroit, maybe there's a consideration that Alexei Yemelin comes out and Nathan Bolia goes in and you stick with that kind of a lineup where you have a little more uh, puck-moving defense to handle the style that the Red Wings would play. So I think matchup will also have a... Uh, you know, a bit of a sort of a decision process will be involved in the decision process as to who they'll want to play and, and who you want to pair up against. Well, we're in conversation with uh, John Bartlett from uh, from Rogers Sportsnet. Uh, John, the Canadians have won their last two games 
and the fourth line of Prust, Mahotra, and uh, Deweese were key parts to those wins. And that's a good t- that's a good sign for a team that's been struggling to score goals. Yeah, you bet. And and you know the fourth line uh, really has been the catalyst, as you said, with Brandon Prust. And and you know it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of weeks here. And if the Canadians sort of go on a roll into the playoffs, are we going to look back to the Tampa game and and the moment where Brandon Prust starts the fight and then lays the hit out on Ben Bishop? Is that the turning point? And is that where things sort of turned around for the Canadians and got them going again, got the fire going and 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 spark them? Uh, so it'll be interesting to see in the next couple of weeks if we look back at that and say there was the moment where Brandon Press single-handedly got the Canadians rolling again. And, and he's, uh, he's been such a big part of the last couple of games, for sure, for Montreal. And, and, you know, you look back earlier in the year, and I always thought earlier in the season, the Canadians' best fourth line was when they had Prust, Noholtra, and Weiss. I thought that was their best fourth line at the time, and I thought that that also meant if that was the fourth line and those players were being used effectively in that role, that meant that the top three lines were in the best uh, sort of set-up position they could be in for scoring. When you're trying to slot in someone like Dale Weiss or, or Brandon Prust on a higher line, um, yes, they can do it, but you're really not putting them in their strength and their element there. And in that fourth line with Preston Holter and Weiss, they go out, they win draws, they bang and crash, they're going to create some space, they're going to eat up some minutes, and, and they're going to be able to create a few scoring opportunities. And that's what they've done being paired together again. And it's helped the Canadians in their offensive struggles right now. So, um, you know, it goes back, as I said, to earlier in the year, I thought that when they were together, that was the best fourth-line combination for Montreal, and they're back together now, and you can see that they have that chemistry going again and have things working. So it'll be interesting to see if that line now sticks together here uh, down the final stretch and going into the playoffs because it could be a very, very effective fourth line and uh, eat up quality minutes for the Canadians and create some good things for them. So, um, you know, it's, it's good to see them back together and producing the way they were uh, like they were at the start of the season when they were all paired up. If you had to name one team, so that's a trick question, it has to be one team, that if the Canadians could, they should avoid for a first-round playoff matchup, Who, which team would it be? <laughs> well, obviously the big story right now is the Ottawa Senators and their big push um, you know, to try and catch the Bruins here, and that was huge uh, to beat them the other night. So Ottawa has the possibility of sneaking into that last wild-card spot, and the Canadians maintain their spot on the top. They could get the Senators. And a lot of people have said, uh, you know, they don't want that matchup with Ottawa because of the way things go. And, and that, uh, you know, no pun intended, would be a bit of a wild-card matchup to have the Ottawa Senators uh, just because of the way they seem to play each other and things always get a little crazy. So, um, But Ottawa, I think, is going to make a, a strong push here. If they beat the Leafs tonight, they've got a, a really good chance of maybe getting into that spot and, and upsetting the Bruins. It's going to be interesting to see if they can keep this torrid pace going down the stretch. So if not, it might end up being the Boston Bruins, who are going to now be forced to play some very strong hockey down the stretch uh, because Ottawa is pushing them very hard. So um, whether you say, who do you not want to play? I always think in the playoffs, you never want to think that way. Of who do you not want to play? Because that gets into your head. You should never worry about who your opponent is, worry about your own game. Uh, but the Canadians could end up with an interesting matchup with either Boston or Ottawa in round one, and both of them will be coming in on a tear if that's the case. And those are always dangerous teams to play in that situation. So they might get stuck with uh, either one of those teams in a, in a tough scenario no matter what. So if that's the case, then it's a coin toss and be more worried about the, the style of game you have to play than than your opponent, because it's going to be a bit of an uh, interesting first round. 
in the last two games, the Canadians have been outshot 37 to 9 during uh, the third period. Do you think that's a result of the Canadians maybe sitting back on their on their leads? Yeah, a little bit of that, and also they've played uh, two teams uh, that are playing with a lot more desperation, and a lot of those shots, I think it was 21 of them came. also battling for that last playoff spot right now, and, and they're in desperation mode. They need every point they can get. So part of that is the Canadians, yeah, sitting back on a lead a little, but also it has to do uh, with their opponent playing just all-out desperation hockey, and that's what we saw in the third period, especially uh, from Florida. You saw a Panthers team that that knew going in the third, they absolutely had to do everything they could to try and, and get some goals and get some points out of that game. So um, as much as it is about the Canadians maybe sitting back, I, I think it also has a lot to do with the opponents, um, you know, in that desperation style, and Florida's that way. And, and you know, really, when you look at the schedule down the stretch here for the final games of the Canadians, uh, Carolina, you know, they're, they're obviously out of the mix, but they were playing some better hockey as of late. And when you look at the stretch here coming down the last uh, few games really uh, the game in New Jersey game against a team that that's out of the playoff mix or or not in a battle right now so the Habs are in tough tonight against the Sharks San Jose is a team fighting for a playoff spot that's going to be tough to play they've got Florida again they have Tampa again they have Washington again they'll be down in Florida again if the Panthers stay in the mix they're going to have those desperation games so there's a lot of tough games I think coming up uh, for the Canadians down the stretch here next week uh, Nashville's a tough team to play they're trying to hang on in the top spot in the west and then you've got the Winnipeg Jets who are fighting tooth and nail to hold on to a playoff spot. So they're going to play some teams that are going to be playing some very desperate hockey and, and very tough hockey down the stretch. Um, so outside of that game against the Devils and then the final game of the season in Toronto against the Leafs, the Leafs will be out of it. But, you know, Montreal-Toronto matchup always seems to have a little fun, so that could be entertaining regardless, even if the Canadians end up resting a few players in that game. Uh, but they won't have many easy games down the stretch. So uh, it's a situation where you have to be prepared to play these teams that'll that'll be very desperate. And you could see situations like this where uh, another team's going to get a lot more shots because they're trying everything they can and throwing the puck on net from every spot they can. And, you know, the shots might not be necessarily indicative of good quality scoring chances, but it's definitely going to show a team that's desperate to do everything they can to try and get some goals. All right, that was the voice of the Habs Regional Games on Sportsnet, John Bartlett, that joined us on March 21st. Prior to game number two of the first-round series between the Habs and the Senators, TSN's John Lou joined us as we spoke about the offensive struggles of Alex Galchenyuk. Uh, well, I mean, they're not going to really admit to anything at this stage simply because this is an RFA year. And uh, if you think back to, say, for instance, P.K. Subban, when he was coming out of the bridge contract and before he hit the massive home run uh, last summer, uh, any uh, comments that the organization was making, uh, whether it was Bergevin or Michel Therrien, uh, comments about P.K. Subban, they were fairly uh, they were conservative and um, uh uh, very uh, sparse in their praise about P.K. Subban until the playoffs. I mean, Michel Therrien, as far as Michel Therrien is going to praise a player, was, uh, by his standards, gushing about P.K.'s play during the playoffs, especially against the Boston Bruins in the second-round series. But from Alex Galchenyuk's standpoint, that you're not going to get um, either coach or GM uh, lobbing grenades or throwing roses uh, simply because it seems to me that especially with uh, their, their prize possessions um they they are really they don't want to put anything out there in the media that can be used for or against them 
when they're approaching a negotiation session. And so I don't think you're going to hear a whole lot of strong statements one way or the other about Alex Galchenyuk. Now, the fact that, uh, that, uh, that Mark Bergevin um, said what he did on Wednesday, to me, it didn't take it too strongly simply because I think back to the beginning of the season, and this really, this is stuck in my head all season long, when Mark Bergevin said something to the effect that this is not a boys' camp. Like referring to his team as a, in general, and uh, and the the potential roles that young players might uh, might fill with the team, and he was referring to Bolia, Patteron, and Tenorti. This is not a boys' camp. That basically, it's like, well, these guys are ready or they're not, and the team is going to make their hard decisions based on what they've observed, what they're hearing from the farm, and what they're seeing in performances on the ice. So I think he's taking the same tack with uh, with Alex Galchenyuk. That it's like, you know what? Man up. We need you. Uh, this is a team that uh, obviously um, it has been beaten like a dead horse, cannot score goals, or has real difficulty scoring goals. Alex Galchenyuk is by far the most gifted forward, the most creative, one of the few players who can build up speed coming through the neutral zone and genuinely back off defenses because of his scary skill set. There's nobody else on the Canadians, aside from P.K. Subban, if he's winding it up from behind his net and going end to end, but we've seen that they don't want him to do that except in very judicious situations. So I think that Bergevin is sort of uh, putting... uh, uh, he's throwing down the gauntlet. Uh, he wants to see uh, Galchenyuk step up and uh, and show his potential and play uh, play within the system too. <laughs> you know that's sort of what drives fans crazy. I know that too. When uh, when an offensive stallion or somebody with that potential there is asked to fit within um, within a defensive system, but the fact is that you know when you play um, a structured um, a structured defensive system, chances in transition, especially if you're a skilled offensive. Player, who can pass and shoot. You're going to get your chances. You're going to get your opportunities. I mean, it's like, it's not shinny. Guys aren't going to be able to freelance and play outside uh, the box uh, to the detriment of, of, of not utilizing their teammates to the, uh, to the highest degree. But uh, certainly, uh, yeah, there, there is a, a challenge issued there in Mark Bergman's statements, and Alex Galchenyuk should take that as such. Uh, although it's interesting that uh, yesterday when uh, the media corps were asking Michel Therrien about, uh, about what message was couched within him putting uh, Galchenyuk down to the fourth line in the second period of last game, and what are his expectations, what does he hope to see? Well, he threw the card out, he played the card that we've heard him say several times this season, and even Galchenyuk has said this too, that he's 21. He's a young player. It's a process. He's learning. You know? And <laughs> it's interesting that they would, that they would soft-pedal it like that or, in, in essence, make an excuse because uh, P.K. Subban, before the playoffs, when he was speaking to the media, said that we were asking him, you know, what have you learned through your young career about the playoffs, and his answer was that the playoffs are all about do or die. It's all about winning. There's no time for teaching and learning and holding hands. It's all about winning. And so I think that Mark Bergevin is taking a little bit of that tack. Uh, Michel Therrien is kind of playing good cop with the Alex Galchenyuk situation, even though anybody with two eyes in their head could see, well, he got busted down the fourth line last game. Um, but when he's speaking publicly about it, well, he's, uh, he's not throwing the kid under the bus, but it'll be interesting to see how Galchenyuk responds to this challenge, simply because um, from his standpoint, and Thomas Placanis said yesterday, he believes that, uh, that, that Galchenyuk is probably thinking too much. 
So, and when a player that has that much natural skill starts thinking too much, well, he's going to second guess himself. He he has a complex game that can become complicated, and when it becomes complicated, he becomes ineffective. And so, basically, it's just go back to an easy comfort zone, play a simple game, a straightforward game, less east west, more north south, and uh, so we'll see what kind of uh, what kind of uh, performance he puts in this evening. Presumably, he'll be starting on the second line, and uh, if all things go well for him, then that's where he should stay. Well, you're right. I, I thought that Tarion's comment was particularly interesting about him, him saying that he was only 21 years old, and that's one of the reasons he got dropped. Uh, but yet, Galchenyuk was replaced on the second line by 19-year-old Jacob de la Rose. Uh, so mm-hmm. it, it, didn't, it didn't quite mesh uh, there. And, and uh, you know, de la Rose played, played a decent game, um, but as you said, he, he doesn't have the – he isn't the threat um, that, uh, that Galchenyuk is. Um, yeah, the other I, thing too. I, I, sorry, Rick. I don't mean to interrupt, but the other thing too is that, and I haven't observed this specifically, but uh, uh, because I haven't watched Galchenyuk close enough in all circumstances throughout the course of the first round or that last game. But the other thing too about Terrian is that first and foremost, he demands effort. He demands commitment. And if if Galchenyuk isn't playing the old, you know, the old cliched two hundred foot game, then that could be a part of it as well. Because uh, the, the the one thing that uh, that is completely within the player's control and Michel Terrien, that's one of the priorities is 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 uh, effort on all shifts. I mean that's why you know uh, he will never ever say a bad thing about Brendan Gallagher, because you never ever have to question his effort. It's go 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 hard as he can every shift back and forth up and down the ice, and uh, so I think that maybe he's observing a little bit of um, you know. Uh, Soft play from Yelchenyuk that uh, that he doesn't like, and I mean that's what he didn't admit yesterday. But you have to believe that there is um, an effort level that could be sticking in uh, Michel Therrien's claw when it comes to this player. Well, Galchenyuk spoke a lot about uh, he he spoke in cliches uh, when the the media surrounded him <laughs> yeah, about every single <laughs> hockey <laughs> karma and bounces and breaks and bounces yeah um, yeah, yeah um, and but for Kenneth, I thought his comments were interesting, uh, uh, cautioning him against uh, listening to the radio and TV and social media. Um, and because, as you said earlier, Placanet said that uh, he's thinking too much, and, and I think Placanet said something about 80% of the game in the playoffs is, is in your head. Um, so just from your view, is, is it in his head? Um, uh, is, it, is it the effort level? Is it because he's not really a, a, a north-south player? He's, uh, what, what do you think, uh, what's, what's the root of, of the issue right now? Well, I think that with any goal scorer, and and you know what? Okay, he had 20 this season. But if you go back to his junior career, uh, this kid is a pure scorer, pure offensive talent with so many different tools in the toolbox. And when a scorer isn't scoring, that's when he starts to sabotage himself. And that's where the mental game comes in, especially with a young player and somebody who uh, apparently is as hard on himself as Alex Galchenyuk is. And the thing is that he does not reveal a lot to the to the press. So just what he is like when it's just him and his teammates is not. We're not privy to that. But uh, but but Tom but Placanus gave us uh, a pretty a pretty uh, um, I guess a, he opened up a window 
for us to get some insight into exactly what makes Galchenyuk tick. And you can tell. It's like this kid cares. He's, uh, he's extremely driven. He's, he's intense. He's hard on himself. And so I think, really, it's a classic case of you know, a scorer, a guy with a lot of talent who isn't getting uh, the results that, uh, that, that, um, that he expects of himself and that his team expects of him. And so when he starts, uh, when he starts second-guessing or um, being a little bit too cautious or trying something that doesn't work, well, that's where he starts to sabotage himself and that's where it's like, just play straight ahead. You know what? Put pucks on that. I mean, and again, hey, we're talking in cliches here too, but he has a heck of a wrist shot. Um, put pucks on net, right? Look what happened when Max Pacioretty just lobbed that wrist shot at, uh, at Ben Bishop last game. You never know what might happen. You know, like put that shot on net if it doesn't, if something weird doesn't happen. Uh Possibly there's a rebound, right? You know, maybe there's a quick whistle, <laughs> right? <laughs> you can't score if you don't shoot. And so I think, yeah, I mean, Galchenyuk, I think the guys especially that, that are able to dangle, not shooters, like not, not shooters, scorers, uh, but guys that can dangle, that have really mad puck skills like he does, tend to hold on to it too long. They look for a perfect play. They're looking for a for a, like a, an impossible pass through sticks and legs. And, you know, it's like just... Just, just play. Just go out there and play. And uh, yeah, I mean, definitely, it requires a certain level of commitment. You're gonna have to fight through a whole lot of abuse and uh, uh, obstacles that aren't there during the regular season, like they are in the playoffs. And that's where the mental game comes in because you have to steal yourself. And that he hasn't quite gotten to that point yet, where the mental toughness is kicked in, and that he uh, that he's able to, uh, to to deal with all those uh, those obstacles that are not just the physical ends of it, like playing every second night and the fatigue that comes in with the elevated level of play. So, uh, yeah, it, uh, it's not going to come overnight, but I would have to think that for, uh, for, for a kid that cares as much as he does, like Alex does, the way that things have gone this week, uh, not just the last game, but all the, uh, the, the, the dialogue that's ensued because of what happened in the second period of game one and the penalties too, let's face it. You know, like, whether they say that the, the Phil Pula call was a dive or justified or not, fact is, is he was tagged for, he was in the box for six minutes, and he's lucky that they killed everything, right? But uh, yeah, so <laughs> there's a whole lot about almost everything that could go wrong with him that game did. So from his standpoint, it's like, well, you know what? Things can only get better, right? So that's a really, uh, he'll be a really interesting player to watch this evening. More nights than most, I would think. That was TSN's John Luda joined us on May 3rd. On the other side of the break, we'll replay our interview with TSN's Chris Cuthbert. This is the Habs 360 podcast featured on allhabs.net. For the most trusted source of news, analysis, and features about the Montreal Canadiens, their affiliates, and their prospects, log in to allhabs.net, your year-round resource for anything Habs-related. That's allhabs.net. I bet you enjoy sporting your best Habs jerseys, dressing up your kids and pets in the cutest Habs gear, and showing off your decked-out hockey cave or family. Well, don't just show your friends. Show your Habs. The team at All Habs wants you to boast your finest pictures for our global network of Montreal Canadiens fans. Include the hashtag ShowYourHabs when posting your fan photos on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Then log on to ShowYourHabs.com to see your entry, along with photos and posts from Habs fans all over the world. A proud member of the Rocket Sports Media Network.
If you missed a recent episode of the Habs 360 podcast, search Habs 360 on net or on iTunes for the archives. Want to make sure you never miss another episode? Subscribe to Habs 360 on iTunes and all new episodes will automatically download for you. Habs 360 is proud to be a partner of Rocket Sports Media, digital media publishers of sports and entertainment websites. In addition to building a worldwide network of sports fans, the team at RSM is also dedicated to mobilizing the sports community in ways that make a difference in the lives of others. Giving back to the community bridges the gap between team affiliations. It's something any fan can support. RSM has proudly provided support for organizations and projects like Hockey Fights Cancer, Five Hole for Food, the Montreal Canadiens Children's Foundation, Autism Speaks, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada, and the People of Canada Portrait Project, just to name a few. If you would like to be involved with a Rocket Power project or have a worthy fundraising initiative you'd like us to be part of, please contact us at rocketsportsmedia.com. This is the Habs 360 Podcast, featured on allhabs.net. Welcome back. I'm Chris G at ChrisG1980 on Twitter. TSN's Chris Cuthbert, that also worked on NBC Sports during the playoffs, joined us to prior game number five of the Habs Lightning series. Tampa had a 3-1 series lead at that time. Chris Cuthbert was calling game number three in Tampa Bay when Johnson scored a buzzer beater to give the Lightning a win. We asked him to give us his thoughts on that play. Well, you know, I, I was ready for overtime, and um, what what strikes me and what I'll re- always remember about that game was that the Canadians played so well. I think there was a stretch of 18 minutes and 40 seconds. The lightning did not have a shot on goal. And it was probably as well as, as Montreal could have hoped to have played for 59 minutes. And, and for whatever reason, watch the final minute again. And, and the whole team just had a massive brain cramp. And, uh, and there were a number of breakdowns, bad changes, bad mistakes, bad decisions in the final minute. And you could feel the final goal coming to the point that even when uh, Thomas Placanitz doesn't get it deep and, and Tampa's got it at their own blue line, uh, you could still sense there was something uh, uh, dangerous about it. And as it turns out, uh, uh, Tyler Johnson scores the goal to put them in a huge 3 nothing hole. I, I uh, I did hesitate because as soon as the goal went in, I looked at the clock and, and the reaction time uh, was that that uh, there were zeros on the clock and all of a sudden I'm thinking, you know, is that the game-winning goal or not? Uh, but the replays told us pretty quickly that uh, that, uh, that that wasn't an issue. Uh, but, boy, they, uh, they mishandled that final minute after playing so well for 59. And, and like I was asking Rick uh, in our first segment, if the series doesn't turn out in the Canadiens' favor, I think that particular moment we'll be looking back at it and saying that was a turning point of the series. Yeah, you can uh, you can even go back to Game One uh, because it was a similar style of game. Uh, Lightning led early and led for a long time. Canadians come back and tie it late in the third period or midway in the third period, and then. Uh, uh, and, and then probably had the better of the play until uh, until Kucherov scores in in double overtime. So I mean there are 
a lot of little things you're going to analyze uh, if the series does end the way you don't want it to end. But uh, but uh, fortunately, they're still playing. And I, I got to tell you, uh, when I left uh, Tampa Bay, uh, I thought it was a, a monumental task for the Canadians to to win Game Four, just because. There was such little time to recover, and, and maybe that turned out to be better, but uh, they didn't skate the next day, had a meeting, um, and, and got back on the ice. Um, I, thought, uh, I thought whoever won Game 3 had a real good chance to carry the momentum over into Game 4, and, and I think the Canadians deserve a lot of credit for their ability to rebound. Uh, some listeners might think I'm a little bit biased here, but I think the Canadians could have easily been up 3-1 to one in the series instead of trailing 3-1. to one. Uh, Am I crazy? No, no. Well, uh, I mean, that is hockey. Uh, uh, I get, I, I agree. They could have won game one, um, and they, they, they could have won game three, but uh, could have, would have, should I? I remember doing a Canadians-Buffalo series in 93 uh, when Montreal won three of the four games in overtime, and it was a sweep. And I remember John Muckler saying after that this that was the closest sweep in the history of hockey, and and sometimes the margin of victory is is so slight, and a break here or there. I mean, how many posts have the Canadians hit in those games they lost? Crossbars or posts that could have made a difference, but uh, uh, at the other end, the Lightning made the plays uh, that won the game when the game was uh, was on the line. So uh, uh, probably better to look forward because uh, you can beat yourself up thinking about what could have been. There's no shortage of that on this team. <laughs> I definitely think that us scoring six goals is, is, is huge. It's huge for our confidence. Um, and, you know, I think Bishop sort of was sitting on a horseshoe for a little bit there. He's played well, but uh, he's been lucky as well. And I think uh, seeing him being pulled out of the net is, is, is a confidence booster for our team as well. Hey, Chris, it's uh, Rick Stevens. Um after game one, we had Nikita Kucherov coming out and causing a bit of a stir, I guess, saying that it was fun to, to see the Bell Center fans go home unhappy. Uh, Chris just played the, the uh, quote by P.K. PK Subban um, between games four and five that that's, um, people have been talking about a lot, saying that uh, Ben Bishop has been sitting on horseshoes for a bit. Uh, what's what's your opinion of of these so-called um, bulletin board statements? Are they really mo- motivational for the the opponent, or uh, just noise and and maybe fun for us to talk about? Yeah, I, I think most times they're white noise. Once in a while, there's something that can be so outlandish that uh, um, that it might make a difference. I, I mean, I, I've got a pretty good rapport with Ben Bishop, and I'm I'm thinking that. He didn't need P.K. Subban to get him going for Game 5. Uh, and I don't know if any NHL goaltender who turns aside 100 out of 104 shots in a, in a series did it because he had horseshoes. But, uh, I mean, if somebody called me out, I, I, I'd probably file it away and, and, and it would just be, you know, another, another uh a bit of motivation, but if you need if you need that to get going at this point in the year when you're uh, uh, when you're halfway or almost halfway to a, a Stanley Cup, uh, you know, uh, then there's probably something wrong. But uh, uh, it is a lot of fun to talk about, and there's no doubt uh, when I when I saw that quote, uh, 
uh, in the paper, I thought, oh, okay, that uh, that that'll probably be filed away somewhere in the in the Lightning dressing room. And uh, prior to game number four, uh, the Habs were having trouble scoring goals, and they ended up scoring six in that game. Uh, they were having trouble beating uh, Ben Bishop, and well, they managed to get him pulled after after three goals. They've had trouble scoring in the power play all season, but even in particular more in the postseason, and uh, they put one in. Uh, how crucial do you think the fact that they overcame all these, I guess I'll call them barriers, for the rest of the series for the Montreal Canadiens? Well, I, I think it is a, it's a good sign to get a power play goal, and maybe it's something to build on. It's, it, you know, you, you, you go over or one for, for a long time, and, and the, everybody starts squeezing the sticks. And, and yet, I mean, the Lightning had the same situation and then they end up scoring four in a game and and it it didn't transfer really over it, it neither did uh you know ending a slump for steven stamco so uh, i mean it, it's positive i think it's it's um reassuring to the team that yes they can put the puck in the net that they can score in the power play but again everybody hits a reset button tonight and uh i I'm quite convinced Montreal is going to see Tampa's best tonight, and uh, they're going to have to raise their level again or, or play as well as they did in Game 4, and, and it'll be a bigger challenge in Game 5. Uh, uh, Rick, do you have another question for Chris? I, I was um, maybe just uh, while we have him and, and just away from the series a bit, um, you, you've worked both sides of the border um, you know, uh, we 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 enjoy you on TSN and on NBC. Uh, do you ad- adjust your game, uh, your your uh, game call uh, at all, um, depending on your your audience? Uh, just just a little bit, not not a whole lot. The only thing I I, I uh, well let let I mean there's there's two different ways. I mean we we've, we've called a lot of Ottawa Senator games this year. And uh, in that market or in the Toronto market when we're calling the Leaf games, I, I think we are telling more Leaf or Ottawa stories because we know that that audience is, is completely focused in on that team. If you're doing a national game, I think you have to, uh, you have to take it uh, right down the middle in, in any uh, way you do it. And, and for the U.S. broadcasts, I mean, I, I like to... I like to identify in Canada where these guys come from, whether it's uh, uh, playing for the Lac St. Louis Lions or whether it was a guy like Brendan Morrow coming from Carlisle, Saskatchewan. Uh, I, I like to identify that for the fans. And in the States, uh, I'll, I'll lean away from that and, and talk more about the fact that Tom Gilbert was from the University of Wisconsin or, or J.T. Brown comes from Burnsville, Minnesota. So, uh, you know, for the most part, that's a subtlety. And uh, I, know, uh, I know fans get used to uh, home broadcasts, and, and then all of a sudden the national guys come in and, and they hear a broadcast go down the middle and, and they think, uh, boy, that guy's bias against our team. But uh, as the great Danny Gallivan said, uh, bias is usually in the ear of the, uh, of the listener. It, when it comes to hockey broadcasts, and uh, you know, I, I, I think that your number one job is to uh, to try and reflect what's going on on in the game from a from a completely uh, unbiased position. And one last question, Chris, before we let you go. Uh, on Tuesday, Carey Price was named the finalist for the Ten Lindsay Awards, and over the last 
10 days or two weeks, whatever the time period has been. He's also uh, named as a candidate for the Hart Trophy and the Vizina Trophy. Uh, what do you think are his chances of winning one or any of those awards? I think as soon as this uh, podcast's over, you guys better start building the trophy case because <laughs> he's uh, he's going to sweep those. And I, I, I think the only problem is uh, he has uh, he has taken away any of the drama of uh, of a lot of the awards uh, because uh, you know he is. He's he's can't miss for sure on on all those and he's already got a share of the Jennings too this year so uh, pretty phenomenal year but uh, I think I know Kerry Price well enough to know that uh, uh, he would trade all three of those awards for uh, a shot at the big one and uh, so that that starts with Game Five tonight and as uh, the great Dick Irvin used to say uh, because it's the, I guess it was a, a a comment from his father that that Dick always reminded me of. Never lose your last game at home. So uh, tonight the task is to get this uh, for the Canadians to get this series back to uh, Tampa Bay for, for game six. And that was TSN's Chris Cuthbert joining us prior to game number five of the Habs Lightning series. I hope you enjoyed the best moments of season number five. If you missed any of the episodes, you can search Habs360 on allhabs.net and iTunes for our archives. My name is Chris G., Christian1980 on Twitter. Thank you for listening. For the latest news on the Montreal Canadiens, follow us on Twitter at Habs360 and visit allhabs.net.